I don't like Polish food any more after being Balchek than I did before when I was just playing Al Brown. Hi, everyone. Uh, before we get to this episode of The Wire Stripped, uh, we just wanted to acknowledge the, the passing of uh, Al Brown, the actor who played um, Stan Valchek. Uh, so we're going to uh, dedicate this, this season to him. And, um, Kobe, you were lucky enough to actually get to speak to, to Al uh, a couple of years back, right? Yeah, that's right. So if you've been listening to our episodes for the past few years, I know it's been taking a while, but Al Brown is one of the voices uh, you've heard uh, smattered through these episodes. And he was a genuinely lovely guy and uh, one of the source of my favourite quotes um, being something like, I don't know no ghosts. Uh, I can't remember exactly which episode that was. Um, but Al Brown, he was a lovely guy he to speak funny. to. He's yeah. a funny guy, just like just like Valchek. Absolutely. Um and we put a dedication on Twitter asking for people's favourite Valtteri moments. And a lot, of, a lot of people said, I hated the character, but I love the guy. And, you know, that's kind of our sentiments exactly. So happy to dedicate this season to him. And here's a little quote from the episode that we recorded a few years ago. I was fortunate enough to play the role of Major Valchek in a police major in, in The Wire. And I will take that to my grave. And if I, I, I find a way to uh, give David Simon and Ed Burns uh, a token to heaven, I certainly will. I was kind of floored on occasion by the reaction I would get from people. I was doing a job one time and I, there was a young fellow I was working with. We got on well, this guy and I. And then one day I, I came in and he... He jumped up out of his seat and started screaming, you're the guy, you're the guy. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, the guy who sold the nail gun to Snoop. Hello, it's Dave here. And I'm Kobe. And this is The Wire Stripped, the podcast where we watch The Wire week after week after week until we get to the end of the greatest show ever made. Yes, uh, sorry, it's been a while, guys. If you've been following us since the first episode, but uh, life has happened. Um, but, you know, we're here now. We're here at season four, which is some of your favorite season. Um, we will be asking you guys on the Burn and Wear season four ranks for you. But, you know, it's good to be back. It's great to be back. It is great to be back. Um, and as always, uh, you won't just hear from us and our thoughts. You're going to hear from uh, the people that made The Wire. And Jesus H. Christ, do we have <laughs> a lineup this season, right? This is one of the reasons it's taken so long because we've been we always reach out to people and sometimes people say yes and sometimes people say yes but then it takes a while to get them and each time we're like should we close it and then no someone joins us and then someone else joins us and then someone else joins us and we're like okay this we have to stop here so that's why it's taking so long as well as the fact you know we're lazy no we're not lazy we're not lazy but, i mean i we have i gotta say we got almost all the key characters from we have this season like we've got all the boys of summer and donuts you yeah, get yeah, most importantly we've got donut um you're gonna hear you, you're gonna hear uh little bits of david simon which you you'll have heard our, our interview um with him you've got we've got dennis cutty wise himself oh. um the man the smooth it and, and some of these um um interviews are already available by the way on our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped but look it's going to be an amazing season we're glad to be back uh and why don't we kick it off uh with season four episode one the boys of summer when you walk through the garden you gotta watch your back 
Well, I beg your pardon. Walk the straight and narrow track. When you walk with Jesus, He's gonna save your soul. Just gotta keep the devil way down in the hole. He got the fire and the fury. Dave, it's good to be back here recording season four, episode one of the Wise Strips. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Kobe? I'm amazing. We're in person. Oh, in person, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been a hiatus because it's been a pandemic. Pandemic. Oh. <laughs> I know. I was watching this episode being like that. That means something totally different. Now. <laughs> it does. That. I can't imagine if someone just walking down the street screaming "pandemic." Yeah, that wouldn't fly nowadays. It's triggering. No. <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, shouting WMD might have been triggering in in yeah back in, in the noughties <laughs> back in, the, in that Gulf War yeah. era. We need some kind of phrase you can shout out that tells people it's yeah. drugs, but also you know don't run away. It's such interesting marketing terms. It is. What is it? like what happened to like the Pineapple Express? Guillotine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut your head off. Revolution. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's great to be back. It's great to see you in real life. I know, yeah, 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 great to see you, and great to be watching The Wire again. Yes, my God, every time, again, just a reminder for everyone, this is only my second rewatch. I mean, I know a lot of you, Kobe's, you watched it a hundred times. Yeah. Loads of our listeners, we get so many emails. Pe- people just being like, "This is my eighth rewatch," or "I watch it every year," and I'm like, always so impressed. I how are you, I'm how the are you outsider. feeling? How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm, I'm like every time I watch it. I'm like, because it's been about 10 years since I saw the first it feels kind of fresh to me while also familiar. And then I'm also like, why don't I just watch this all the time? Because it's just, <laughs> it is just the greatest show ever, right? Well, let's get into, into this episode. Um, Boys of Summer. Boys of Summer. Yeah. We're going to get to the Boys of Summer later on, but I think we need to do a skip through the, some, of the, some of the scenes and some of the people. Let's uh, check in with um, Marlowe's crew. Why don't we start, start right at the beginning? Sure. A very good place to start. Oh, beautiful. The cold open. Oh, of course. Yeah. Snoop. Snoop in the hardware store. This is the one. A lot of people, everyone loves this scene. And a lot of people say it's one of the best scenes ever in the whole of The Wire. And I do love it. Um, and introduces you to Snoop as someone who's, she's tiny, but also she casts like a huge shadow. Yeah. And this guy, he has no problem. He thinks she works on, on making buildings. He just assumes that she knows exactly what she did. She works day in, day out on building sites. And she, she, she's relatively authoritative on it as well. Absolutely. She get, yeah, yeah. But I love that she's, there's no like deception with her either. No. She's just like, she's pretty much straight up. And she's like, you know, he's like, he sort of queries, you know, oh, you're, you're a freelancer, you're roaming around. Yeah, here and there, you know, we go around <laughs> lots of places. <laughs> just like, yeah, I got five jobs last month. Oh, oh you seem busy. <laughs> I love, I just love how direct and fearless she is. It's yeah. just like, she's, she doesn't feel the need to hide. She's just walking around in plain sight, you know, and the, and just the fact that she gives him all this cash and the look in his face and the tip. I love oh. how I love how like noble she is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you earned that bunk like you earned that you bunk earned it. like a motherfucker. Like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> this is eight hundred dollars. So what, man? You earned that bump like a motherfucker, man. Keep that shit. And also, I do love it when you go into a shop. And someone gives you good advice, you get the right thing, and you feel happy about it. He he's a really good salesperson, clerk, yeah, or whatever absolutely. salesperson. Yeah. Really, really good, top notch, solid. Like and yeah, and uh, um, I'd give him a tip. I, I actually, I'm gonna start <laughs> saying that now. Anytime I tip anybody, I'm gonna use, start using Snoop. <laughs> you went that book <laughs> like a motherfucker. Like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Snoop, yeah, I think this is the, this is the longest time she's had on screen so far, and it's it's a great intro to her, and she 
players a lot in the next uh, couple of seasons. But we'll, we'll get back to Snoop uh, going forward. I've been a, a professional actor for all of my adult life, which is a long time now. And um, I have received more recognition from that one day's work than anything else I've done in my career. And, uh, and I've done a lot of stuff, but, uh, but that's the one that, that is most memorable for people for some reason. This is the actor Paul L. Nolan, the very man that sold that nail gun to Snoop. One of the things that I, I hit upon as I was considering the writing of the thing, as we were working on it, was that my character did not at all talk down to this woman. He took note of the fact right off the bat that she was carrying a nail gun. So I think his assumption was that she knows nail guns. She arrived with one. So when he was talking nail guns, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't doing so in a way that, um, you know, in any way questioned uh, her knowledge. Uh, instead, um, he was simply there to sell her the product if he could. You see that again and again in the series that, people, good guys, bad guys, all kinds of people, they relate to each other in all kinds of ways. And you'll have um, people doing horrific things, but then within some kind of code of honor, it seems, in, in their intrapersonal relationships. The same thing with the cops. You've got cops who are just behaving terribly but by the same token, they still put on the badge and carry the gun and they're out there, you know, trying to do their job. So it's it's uh, I, I will just keep going back to the writing over and over again. The writing on the show is just remarkable. I also learned in short order that Snoop was indeed a, a recurring role and that she was a, a major role on the show. So, again, our our positions were different and. The director, I got there, uh, um, I was on set before Snoop arrived, and uh, Snoop, <laughs> before Felicia arrived. Um, and uh, the director made it clear to me that uh, he, was, he was insistent that I should be uh, word perfect with regard to the script. And I had no problem at all with that because that's frankly how I'm used to working. Uh, I'm a stage actor first. And uh, so the idea of, you know, improvising the script, you don't do that. You say the words that the playwright wrote, or in this case, the screenwriter. But it also became apparent to me in short order that Snoop had complete freedom to improvise and to say what needed to be said in whatever manner she felt was uh, going to be reasonable. So since I had to be word perfect, it was up to me to figure out how to get my stuff in and say it uh, perfect or, you know, word perfectly um, and have it work with what she was doing. And one of the things that you end up seeing as a viewer, uh, at least as, with regard to me, is an actor who is really listening because it was incumbent upon me to listen very carefully to what Felicia said so that I would be able to integrate what I had to say uh, succinctly. Well, we see, we see quite quickly what happens with the, with the nail gun. Um, they kill someone in the vacants and they shut it tight with that nail gun that, sh that they just bought. Yeah, so what, what, what I really liked about this is that, like, you know, as, a, as the audience, we're watching this cold open and we're watching Snoop, who we know to be a violent like yeah. criminal and we're what we're we're listening to her talk to this guy and there's just this underlying threat because we know she's buying a nail gun and you know it's for mm. 
like not, illicit purposes. Exactly, something <laughs> nefarious is going on, and I think we all assume, and this is where the show sets your expectations. It feels like this is a, it's going to be a murder weapon, right? Mm. And I think what I really enjoyed about there's almost like it's a twist reveal that no it's just actually she's using it as a nail gun right it's, it's for nailing boards shut <laughs> which which as, as was a bit of a twist yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> um and and it just shows also like what a consummate kind of professional that she and chris partlow mm. are like and they kind of they exude that authority in their field but also just the fact that she's going to the level of detail of like i need the best nail gun for this job right and she's going you know she spends time she does her research she listens to the well, guy well we all know it's like if you get something and the battery dies halfway through it's a pain in the ass <laughs> right exactly that's one of the best things about the pandemic pandemic <laughs> is that I'm sorry that's the last time I'm going to do that um, <laughs> one of the best things about the pandemic is uh, my phone has not died in the last 18 months <laughs> right yeah I know because I've not let it off charge do not leave the house <laughs> yeah. yeah you're always near a plug socket yeah uh, so that bums me out. But I can imagine if you're there, you've killed someone. It's like, oh, I can't shut this. I can't shut this vacancy type because it'd be so frustrating. Because I because those derelict houses aren't powered. No. No. So no. then you gotta leave the body there. You gotta head back to your house, yeah, charge, charge your it. nail gun. Oh. Yeah. I can see why it's important. I can see why the, his, she was happy to give him a massive tip. <laughs> um, yeah, but she, they kill that guy, and um, it's quite vicious. Um, but that sets up again. A lot of stuff is happening this season, so we maybe not dwell too much into into this scene. It's really well, like, what I was really impressed by the lighting mm. in that scene. So this was directed by Joe, Joe Chappelle, right? Yep. He's done a lot of these. Um, and, and I was really, like, the blocking and the lighting in here with the and the, the way they... Um, there's they held almost up the, like held up the, the yeah, plastic. They yeah. held up the plastic, and they, they they did it with shadows, and and you see the guy vomit. It's really, like, yeah. visceral and, and intimate. But what I thought was, like, really interesting was the way... Chris is almost like um, gentle, or or there's a there's a there's an empathy from him in a weird way. There's, yeah, there's some kind of softness there. He's not he's not like overtly violent, and obviously he's got a gun, but he's not aggressive with it. He's just like <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I mean. Yeah. There's no, it's just like a job to him, and mm. he even says to the guy something like, you know, don't worry, I'm gonna this is gonna, gonna be quick. quick yeah. You know, I'm gonna do it quick. This is he's he's. He reaches out to he reaches out at like this empathetic olive branch in his final moments. So it's just a, it's a really interesting sort of character quirk. Should we head to politics? Yeah. So we get um, we get a kind of a day in the life of uh, oh, Carcetti on the on the on the trail here, and it's kind of miserable, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know why anyone one wants to be a politician. Kudos to those who want to be politicians because they want to change the world, but also there's all this red tape nonsense you have to deal with. And I'm, so much. It's I'm nine to that. No, and and they. What I really like about this is that it's like you get shows like I just pulled the West Wing out or House of Cards. Mm. Or there's a hundred shows about politics, and what you don't often see is like the 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 boring sort of mind numbing spirit mind pushing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's like he's. <laughs> He's very much comes across as a beleaguered in this episode. And he's like, what I also liked was the twist that like the, it's almost like he's working for his campaign people. It yeah. doesn't feel like they're working for him at all. No, no, they it have to feel like the boss. They have to shove him in a hot box to make phone calls. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just like, it's just like a prison and they wouldn't let him out of there. And just the whole <laughs> thing, like Norman, Oh, we, we meet Norman who's played by Reggie. Cathy. Uh, oh my God. Legend. That voice straight away cuts through you. What a voice. Absolutely. And it, we've had a lot of good voices. We've got a lot of good wire. voice cast voice people in the wire but his is his is uh 
Un- kiss. Unforgettable. <laughs> we love you too, Clark. But, yeah. <laughs> but my God, Reggie, Cathy, R.I.P. Yeah. But we, um, he's a great character, Norman. But Norman's very much like Norman and Terry D'Agostino are in charge here, basically. Yeah. And, and it's great. you even get that throwaway line from that mayor he, uh, Carcetti meets in the coffee shop at the beginning. He said, you know, he says to Norman, he says like, don't rem- don't let him forget he's on your clock. Yeah. And I like that. And he's like. And Norman's just there to remind Carcetti that he's late to everything. <laughs> uh, drags him out of the car when he falls asleep in the back. Like, he's just hes just basically a puppet. He's a nanny. Yeah. Reg was a great guy. This is, of course, Aidan Gillen, who played Carcetti on The Wire. When I was talking about the other actors, he would be the epitome of that uh, openness, warmth, intelligence, um, availability, naturalism, you know, uh, nothing affected about him at all, but you know, everything was just would just happen real in the moment and with minimum effort between us. And you know, we were together for quite a lot of season four. And you know, there's not you know, there's time to do two or three takes, but if you can get it right the first time or the second time, well, then you've got more time to work on other things. And you know, when when people are easy and real. Um, stuff happens the first time that you're never going to you're probably not not going to get it on the second take as good anyway so it makes everyone's days easier just touching kind of tangentially with the politics we have uh, we see Herc for the first time this season um, he's got a new job he's got a new job he's on the detail with the mayor on mayor I don't know how you say that um, and he's got he's got a partner but the partner's not got any crack <laughs> no I like this it's like Herc's trying to form that sort of banter that he's got with Carve right yeah. and it's just yeah it's not flowing is it not at all yeah just kind of felt sorry for him <laughs> um, but Herc's yeah just say Herc's here you know say hi hey Dom I'll give you a little juicy little story this is of course Herc himself the actor Dominic Lombardozzi the show's going forward so they put us on a ride along as uh, like research and you know developing a character so to speak they put us with these homicide cops and we do these very nice cops but not who Herc and Carver were so we needed to be with the narcotics cops and do a couple of ride-alongs with them and see what they were about and it's two different breeds two different type of let's say uh, Baltimore two different type of police right so Doing the ride along, then I like holy shit. Okay, these they they're like no nonsense guys. There's a very very fine line, very very fine line between wearing that badge and not wearing that badge. And you kind of have to be that way to survive. You have to be. You have to have a certain mentality, a certain type of attitude. You have to carry yourself differently when you're undercover and you're narcotics as opposed to going to work every day with a suit and tie and seeing a case after it happened. We get we get a couple of nice bits from, well, we get a little bit from Royce here. We don't get a whole lot of Royce in this. But I did like that Royce drops a classic Clay Davis catch line. Did you catch it when he's getting into the left? He wants two debates. She absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember Isaiah Whitlock Jr. when we interviewed him a while back, telling us that um, 
a lot of the other cast started to start to replicate his really? his she <laughs> <laughs> after a while. Uh, but nothing nothing like the original. No, no, at all. No one can do that. Oh, and the other the other thing we get from Royce was the um, his we see kind of a, a stark contrast between the sort of speaking events that he's doing on the trail and, mm. and what Carcetti's doing. So they kind of nicely cut from Carcetti speaking to, speaking to a snoozy old folks home, and they you know they have the punchline. Oh, that's so sad, isn't it? Salisbury steak, <laughs> <laughs> Salisbury steak or tacos, uh, and then we cut to Royce at this packed event down at the harbour and mm. he's all well connected and everyone's round of applause and it's like it's just like you do you do feel like how is he gonna how's he gonna come how's he gonna to do this? this yeah how why have you just given up straight away they set the stakes very early on yeah Hi there, my name's Laura and I'm a Patreon. Season four is probably my favorite. The first time that I watched The Wire, I hadn't started my career in teaching. And then when I rewatched it, I'd been teaching for about four years in a high school. And it was quite noticeable how much my perspective about the series had changed and how much more I got out of it. There was a lot to relate to there, despite the fact that the school system in America is quite different from Britain. There was still a lot to connect to there. And I think that's why I really enjoyed it a lot more the second time around. Thanks very much, guys. Keep up the good work with the podcast. Thank you very much for that burner message. If you want to leave us a burner message similar to that, um, go to WhatsApp and leave a voice memo uh, to plus four four. That's plus four four seven five three four eight three one six five eight. We still need to make this catchy. We have a phone, <laughs> and that's the number. <laughs> I love that we've got a burner phone. Um, or, if if you don't want to do that, though, yeah. you can you can just send us an old fashioned email with it with a voice note or something in it. Uh, so that's burner at thewirestrip.com. You know, if you're not like down street level and burning phones or whatever, we want to know this season and for the first few episodes. Uh, where does season four rank for you, and and why? Let us know in thirty seconds or less. Give us give us your name, um, so you you know you you give yourself a little plug in there, um, and thank you very much for you guys doing that in advance. And don't forget, if you want to get to the front of the queue, uh, you can get priority burner access over at our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped, uh, where all of the uh, proceeds go to the Ella Thompson Fund in Baltimore. Right. As you all know, we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped. But we now have another way you can help us out and the Ella Thompson Fund. Yeah, so if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe to us um, to get a lot of the same benefits as a Patreon account, but it makes it easier if you want to help contribute to the lovely people at Ella Thompson Fund, who, just to remind you, I'm sure we've said a few times this episode already, but they help support underprivileged kids in Baltimore in the way that Cutty did in The Wire. Uh, yeah, so you can get access to our episodes early. You can get access to our full uh, interviews uh, with the cast and crew, uh, including our extended interview with uh, David Simon. No adverts on there as well. And also Basking in the Glory, they're helping out a lot of lovely people in Baltimore and the kids there. It's simple. If you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll up the feed now and there's a button for you to click on and it costs less than the price of a coffee every month to support lots of lovely people. Major Crimes, just do a quick stop at the MCU. Yeah, so the MCU's still in business. Yeah. Fewer, fewer, feels like fewer staff on the go now, right? So we've got Sidna, 
we've got we've got Kima and of course we've got we've got Leicester. Um Daniels is gone and we've got a new we've got a new lieutenant in charge. Yeah, and we've got Caroline Massey. Yes. Yeah, and with her coupons. Yes, with the coupons, yeah. of course. Yeah, and they've got a new lieutenant, a very sleepy lieutenant who's building his boathouse. He sounds like he's just obviously checking out the clock every single day he comes <laughs> in. Lieutenant Asher is his y- name. Yeah, Asher. Yeah, a brim full of Ashers on the, on the, <laughs> down on the beach house. And I can tell, I, I know, as soon as Freeman... As soon as you walk through the door the first day, Freeman knew they had exactly the person they needed to. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. Like, Freeman's basically like, I love that they've got this little secret thing. They're, they're, yeah. they're, uh, Freeman's building all his subpoenas. We kind of get this, you know, Rhonda's a bit like, are you serious? You're going to do all this? And he's very like, well, there's an election on? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, and they describe their lieutenant to her as this firecracker who's just all over. <laughs> and it's basically they're just signed, getting him to sign paperwork. Yeah. It's like it's like, it's like Akima comes to Lester with the signed paperwork. Like like she got her her dad to sign like a a, a, a slip that, to leave school early. Or yeah, the dodgy like, report card. Yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of... feels like the parents have checked out and yeah. the kids are like running the show, doesn't it? Quick stop at the Western. Um, yeah, so we're missing McNulty from the major crimes. Yeah. Uh, but he's not missing them, is he? Because he's got a happy happy life on the beat over got, at the Western. He's got a happy gig and he's got a car. He's got his uniform back on. Um, to be honest, it sounds... Better in a way, and last season Santangelo said this. You know, you get the same perks, you got more firm hours, you get home early. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking, well, if I was a police, I'd probably do that. It seems to, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It seems to suit him as well. Yeah. Which is kind of like, it's a, it's a real U-turn for McNulty as a character because his drive has always been the job and results. He's results-driven. Case, yeah. case yeah. yeah, and like get and it, he always made it personal, like it was getting Stringer Bell from, mm. like, episode one, really, from that courtroom. And kind of that's that's done, and he seems he seems quite happy. We see Daniels um, uh, and the real-life Jay Landsman. Yes. Uh, uh, trying, Mellow. Mellow, trying to, uh, trying to get him in. Like, the, the, he basically says, look, you're wasted here. I need good detectives, man. And he's just, ref- Stone Cold refuses. Well, fair enough. Fair play to him. He's got a knife. He's, Beardy's back in his life. I'm not sure if that's explicit yet, but it's not much of a spoiler. Um, and yeah. they are yeah, they seem they're making happy families and it's and it's good it's nice isn't yeah. it I feel like happy for McNulty yeah, he kind absolutely. of deserves it he's been through the ringer he's put a lot of people through the ringer so now it's time maybe just to <laughs> yeah, chill out a bit take a step back <laughs> <laughs> let someone else drive the plot step back from that ringer yeah and we also get this scene at the the western with McNulty and Carve and the others where they're getting this um, sort of what, a lecture or a, on a sort of anti-terrorism guidelines yeah. um, and the sense here is that it's very much they're ch- they're all checked out they're laughing right they're sort of joking about yeah even Carve's joking about it yeah nobody's taking it he's, no. he's talking about the um, you know oh, if the if the if the, the terrorists came over here the stick up crews would, would get them yeah. in fact fun fact I found out that uh, he mentions Apex as one Apex's crew would, would get them um, and apparently that's the real life one of the real life inspirations for Omar so oh okay one of the guys that Ed Burns knew back in back in the day was this guy called Apex so that's a little real life nod that's a good pull that's a good they pull. like to do <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> but what, what I liked what they did here was that they they cut this scene against kind of the same thing happening over at the schools yeah yeah so they're getting this 
this bureaucratic lecture which only Prez is paying attention to. <laughs> Prez, well, well, we'll get to the schools in a second, but yeah. Prez looks like the biggest fish out of water. Um, right, lambs well, to the slaughter. Lambs to the slaughter. Yeah. Well, let's get to the school side. We've, we've, touched on, we've touched on familiar pieces here. The school is the biggest change here. This is, this is the scene for season four. It's yeah. education. Yeah. And we've been in the school a bit, but here, as you said, there's a lecture going on and we see, I'm not sure who's presenting. Oh, it's, and, but he's... Uh, I think it's, oh, no, I think it's somebody we haven't seen before. Yeah. I think it must be an external person. I think in both cases, it's like, in both the the police in the Western and in the school, we're seeing this, It's in both cases, it's outsiders coming in, kind of bureaucrats probably, yeah. with these guidelines and these like... And, and it's, it's like tick box training almost. Exactly. Yeah. And, it's, and, and you can tell it's like, it doesn't correlate with their real world of these people at all. Absolutely. The teachers are like, yeah, what am I supposed to do when, you know, shit kicks off? It's like, and, and the thing, on the, I don't, don't have it to hand, but the thing on the on the PowerPoint is is basically like, Caring, like find oh, they have some person. horrible acronym, don't they? Uh, yeah, yeah, ABC or something. <laughs> Always be caring or something. I was like, and it's just it's like, come on. And but I, what I love is that you've, like you said, like Prez is this, you know, the the writing it down, and he's <laughs> super eager, and the rest of his teachers are like, this is not going to help. It's not going to work. Yeah. But we see Prez for the first time in the school when it gets introduced. You have the principal and the vice principal talking. Mm. They are tallying up the teachers they have, uh, their resources. Prez comes in. I'm not sure if it's for an interview or just to officially start his first day, but he comes in and they look him up and down and think he's not going to work. And then he says, yeah, I used to be a police officer. And they're like, okay, well, we'll give you a shot. I know, right? <laughs> that's what that's what tell, that tells you so much, yeah. doesn't it? Oh, but without even like opening the doors to the kids or seeing anything, it's like we know so much about what the school environment is like mm. by the fact that they're hungry to get an ex-cop yeah. as a teacher. Uh, yeah, totally. And it does kind of seem... To make sense from an authority point of view, but they also should have read Prez's CV. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you leave policing? Oh, I just I hit kids with guns. Yeah, um, blinded a kid. Yeah. Um, killed police officers. Killed a police officer by mistake. <laughs> Spent most of the time in a basement by myself solving maths puzzles. <laughs> it's like, yeah, for, perfect, you're hired. It's like, he, on paper, I mean, I don't know how he got past the screening process, no. really. No, I don't know. But I that, look... All that aside, I'm, ha- I'm naturally I'm happy for Prez. Prez is like an emotional core of this season, and I'm like I want him to succeed. Absolutely, yeah. For me, it was another way in which we so over rely on police for all things in society that we that we don't need them for. This is Kristen Henning. She's the director of the Georgetown Juvenile Justice Initiative. And she's also the author of Rage of Innocence, How America Criminalizes Black Youth. And I can imagine Assistant Principal Donnelly thinking, wow, you're perfect because you can handle anything. You can handle um, these children who are disruptive because you have managed to regulate some of these crime ridden, um, impoverished neighborhoods in our city. So the, but the notion that that's who we want <laughs> to come in and serve these children is what is so disturbing. Why not be excited about the social worker, right? The psychologist, the behavior intervention specialist who comes in. But no, they're excited about a police officer who presumably would adopt and employ some of his law enforcement strategies to regulate the classroom. Then 1994 comes along and the federal government creates the federal cops in schools framework, which is the framework that allows um, the federal government to pour dollars into states 
and ultimately localities that wanted uh, to uh, increase the presence of police, higher police in schools. And, um, and remember that in 1994 in the United States, we're in the midst of what has been labeled the super predator error. That is this moment, the pseudoscientific theory is put forth by Princeton professor John DeUlio, who says that black children are going to run amok by the year 2000 and rape, maim, and kill, you know, all of America. I'm only slightly exaggerating. He was very clear and very explicit about it. And ultimately, that was disproven. I mean, and he recanted himself within a year, but the damage had been done, right? So we have so many police and schools long before Columbine happens. And then Columbine does indeed happen. Um, and we, the federal government increases funding, but where do they send police officers? They send police officers to schools with a predominantly black and brown presence, not the Columbines, not the Sandy Hooks. So it's really important. So that's how you get a, a, a season four um, in the wire where, you know, policing is an integral part of the, the this idea of school of, of schooling in urban America, like a place like Baltimore. I loved watching David Simon and Ed Burns and William Zorzi and Richard Price. And I mean, they were on the set. They were on the shoots and they were writing as uh, we were shooting. This is the voice of Brandy Burry, who played Teresa D'Agostino. And they really had a handle on it, being journalists, being from the city. I thought Jim True was amazing, the actor. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's such a problem. It's such an American issue of education and the public school systems um, that I, I just thought it was wonderful. We've gone to the school from the teacher side. Dave, can you teach us? Can you take us to? We're not at school. We're not at school yet. We're in the holidays. We're going to see some of the students. Yeah, boys of summer. Yeah. yeah. So we meet the we meet the boys of summer. Yeah. For the first time. Uh, so our four protagonists uh, for this season um, are well. We've got. Will we do a roll call. Let's do a roll call. What have we got. We've got. Uh, we've got Naaman as the first one we meet. Here. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Naimond is uh, we meet Naimond working on Bodie's on, on the stoop corner yeah. on the stoop yeah and we get the what do we learn we learn that he is not a good employee no he's reading, <laughs> reading comics <laughs> right he's reading, on the job yeah exactly yeah now it is it's quiet we get the sense that you know it's not much business going through true, Bode, Bodie's true. little corner here um, but Bodie's not happy with him and we you know Bodie tells um, Lex that he only hired him because of his old man who I don't think we know who his old man is at this stage, but no. we will find out shortly. Um, and then the other three boys come along. So we've got uh, Michael, who we don't get a whole lot of in this episode. No. Uh, and we've got Randy and Dookie. Yes. And Dookie. So we well we get to the why don't we get to the scene with the the pigeons, which kind of tells us a little bit more about these boys and their dynamic. Like after a while, I'm so serious. You wear those clothes and you really start feeling like whatever you're portraying. You're listening to Dookie himself, played by actor Jermaine Crawford. And I just remember like those were kind of some of the toughest years of my life, figuring myself out while playing this really demanding character. So that first episode with the um the, the the birds and the bottles. I can't watch it because my voice is like seven octaves higher. I'm like, who is this child? 
this child that stands before me? What is this? Man, I'm from the projects in Brooklyn, so none of this stuff fazed me, essentially. This is, of course, the one and only Naaman, played brilliantly by Julito McCullum. Uh, and I went in, and I remember seeing David Simon sitting in the room with this big, bright purple Baltimore Ravens jersey on. And he looked like the meanest person in the world. And I was like, uh, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> um, but I went in, man, and I always thought very early on that Naaman was out. Like, Naaman was, he was inside of me, man. He was, Naaman was a, every little kid that I grew up with. It wasn't my story per se, but I just remember reading the role and just knowing that I was, that character was for me. And and I never, unlike, um, you know, a few of the other Boys of the Summer, they auditioned for kind of different roles. I, I only went in for naming early on. That felt like after that first audition, they saw something. And I maybe went on one other, one other audition. And then the next call I came in for was to help them get the other kids. I just remember I was on the train because after they did the initial like New York City casting calls, they had they sent us to Baltimore to do kind of like a screen test. And it was just me for naming. And there was two Michaels, two Dookies, and there was only one Randy. I was on the train with the guy who was coming for Michael because he lived in my neighborhood. <laughs> the funny part. So we took like the entire transportation process to Baltimore together. And we were just talking and I was like, oh, this kid is cool. If he's Michael, that'd be dope. And then I get there and it's Tristan. And Tristan was a friend of mine for years prior to that. And I was just like, yeah, this kid was cool, but Tristan, he needs to get this. <laughs> I was like, that's like my real friend. Because we didn't know who was auditioning for what until we got there. Um, but I just always knew that Tristan was perfect for Michael. I wish I would have taken or could have had the mental capacity to take a little bit more advantage of. You're listening to Maestro Harrell, who played Randy Wagstaff. Would have been to dig in the brains of Ed Burns, David Simon, Robert Shee, and a few other people who were around. Because it's just one of those situations where you haven't lived enough. So sometimes even certain some of the things they would say, some of the things they would do, or some of the like, it's like, oh, cool, yeah. But it's not, hmm. Like, because the older you get, you realize, like, man, the majority of people you come across don't sound or talk like or have the same even thoughts on their mind as these people at all. Like, at all. You know? So, it's when whenever you're able to be around that, it's, a, it's definitely a privilege, you know? And it's definitely something that, I, unfortunately, I know there's things I learned and I don't even realize I learned, but, you know. I'm glad, I'm really grateful that I was able to be in that scenario and be surrounded by those kinds of people at that age. Uli, Tristan, Maestro, Jermaine. Guys, we found the actor that played Donut. This is Nathan Corbett. Hanging around such talented people, right? Like we used to have like freestyle battles and we used to like write songs and play a game like Botticelli, called Botticelli and um... We used to do, we used to have so much fun just being kids and being young and, you know, and of course we didn't realize the, like the graph of what was going on. I'm sure, you know, like they didn't really realize, like, especially their roles, right? But we didn't really realize as kids, like what, you know, what was going on, but the camaraderie was dope. Flew in my first day, um, you know, met the kids and I asked Julito what's going on and he said, well... And he would break it down for me. It was just instant chemistry. 
This is actor Sandy McCree who played the absolutely hissable Delanda Bryce. And it was enough of uh, trust in relationship between him and I as professional working actors, but also um, as a mother and son to be. What's going on with you? What has happened with you? Reading my sides and understanding what's um, the mentality of Delanda, this this mom, and I consider her a young mom. I was running a program under um, the direction of Tony Sias, who's now the head of the Caramel Theater in Cleveland, um, the Young African American Women's Program. And we would talk about our own issues, um, things we were going through. So a new girl came in that night, and she had bitch earrings. And they said bitch in each ear. And I thought, ooh, baby Kia, where are those in here? And she was like, why not? And I was like, Cause, well, it's like composite stuff going on. We, I, I would prefer if you took them out. My mother gave to me, I can't take them out. And I was like, well, I'm going to ask you to call your mom. Um, because I don't want you to wear them. And, she, and she's like, fine. So she called her mom. Um, and they, and these are neighborhood kids. So her mom came up. Delonda came up. And she said, "What the? what's the problem? And I was like, um, so we're about making positive choices and empowering ourselves with, you know, positive after you're trying to be better. Um, and this doesn't support the process. And so I'm asking her to remove her. She said, they 14 karat code. She a bitch. She ain't nothing but a bitch. That's why I got her the earrings. And I was like, okay, but do you mind if she not would Take him out. So she she took him out. And I was like, oh, Lord have mercy for this baby. And so I was like, I just want to let you know um, we're, you know, what we're doing and trying to let them understand, you know, positive touch and, you know, like, you know, hugging our children so they don't have to go. She said, I ain't hugging her. I know lesbian. That was where Delonda came from. Obviously, this is your second what's through. When you saw the boys come back on screen again, uh, without giving away spoilers, what was your general kind of sense when you when they came back onto the screen? Heartbreak. <laughs> I think that's. I think that encapsulates pretty much. Yeah, right. That's fine. That's fine. That's, and a, that's a perfect. No, word. we won't spoil this season for anyone if it is your first watch. But heartbreak is what I felt <laughs> seeing those boys because they they straight away and this episode does such a good job, Boys of Summer, of like making you care for these kids mm. in such a short amount of time. Like by the end of this, like the time you spend with these kids in this episode, it's like. It's uh, st- I got like Stand by Me vibes, yeah, yeah. right? It's just kids. It's just boys on the summer holidays, and it's so relatable. Like I felt like, you know, we said at the top that you and you and I didn't catch pigeons as such as kids, but you know, but we, you can relate to, to yeah, yeah, hijinks, the, just stuff you did in the yeah, summer, right? It's like Hanging honestly, out with your friends. The last day of school was amazing because they got to play games, and then the day after is amazing because you got to get up at like six o'clock in the morning and be out. This is like the eighties for me. Um, I'm not sure if this happens much now, but I used to be out from like early, light <laughs> until dark, and it was like the best thing ever. I don't think that happens anymore. I don't think people let their kids out of the door that's, at that's all. That's what now. I'm trying yeah, to say yeah, now. It's like nowadays, yeah. I, I don't think that happens. But for 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 many of us growing up, it was play outside all day, and then play Mario Kart for a bit, and then and then go to sleep. Yeah. And and that was I played Sonic. Actually, I had the Mega Drive. 
Sega Genesis. You were a Mega Drive guy? I was a Mega Drive guy. Oh, Nintendo house, man. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> um, but that's what, yeah, the summer, the summer holidays was like just pure bliss, endless. Yeah. And this is what that kind of vibe you have. You have these, these four kids primarily. There's a few ancillary ones. You have Donut there as well. Um, but they have the vibe together. They're kind of together. I'm not quite sure why they're together, but they are together. And in the way that, you know, they can take the piss out Dookie. Already Dookie kind of stands alone. Or, you know, we're not going to talk spoilers here. Dookie kind of stands alone, but in, in a few different ways. He's seen smarter than the other guys because he knew that it wasn't a homing pigeon. Um, yeah. For example. And he kind of works in his own way, then, but they're still with him. Because when the other kids beat him up, they're like, nah. Those early days where we we just kind of get an idea who the kids were and seeing the, you know, the piss balloon episode. Us, like, it was really fun, man. We had a good time um, running all through those alleys and being kids, man. And I can't, because we didn't know what was going to happen, but we kind of had had an idea that, oh, all the episodes won't be like this first episode. So let's enjoy this moment. So being with those kids and, you know, it was fun, man. We had a great time. It was a summer in Baltimore. Uh, so you, you can't ask for anything better than to be with your friends, hanging out and shooting a TV show. So those scenes I remember for sure. It, it, it just worked out perfectly that Tristan and I were friends already. So that that chemistry was happened automatically. And it just felt like everyone just followed suit, man. We met Randy and Randy was all the way from Chicago. But when we met him, it was just like, ah, like it, it took maybe a few hours for us to feel like real friends, to be honest. Because we were together every single day, all day. What helped also was the fact that uh, before we even got to set, we would um, we had school. We had to get uh, tutored uh, together, so we would. It felt like a classroom, and and uh, everybody we, we knew we were there on a mission, and at, that helped us know that like let's have some fun with it, right? Like we're the we're the only kids on the set for the first what two months. We would have only kids right until we went into the classrooms um and it was different man i don't think they were ready to have like four black kids on the set of the wire because <laughs> we were a mess man we we raised hell on that set but it was a blast man it was a blast we would watch anchorman every day i think watching movies and listening to music together really helped us kind of shape who we were man um it helped our characters as well and especially that you know midway through the season we kind of all branch off but early on having that innocence and that 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 those childlike moments really helped us to take you on to where we were going because you got to kind of sprinkle in some cuteness before you put these kids through hell so i think it worked it was also cool to just see the difference in like just how that like how the casting was like so spot on because it was cool because these guys also come from like we all came from like some kind of version of that, even if it wasn't to that, obviously that extent, but you know, we still like, nobody really came from a place that was a picnic. You know what I mean? I'll put it that way, you know? So, but it was cool. Cause when we shot, like I said, when we shot the boys summer episode, like it was dope because even when we were doing all that stuff, the in-between takes, even just the stuff like get, like getting the pitch it, grabbing the pigeons and all the kind of stuff. Like, man, it really, it really was like, you know, it's four kids over here, like, yeah, we're shooting this, but it's also like, how would you really catch this? Bro, you couldn't catch this. Like, it's like the same, like, hey, we'd really be doing It's like, bro, is that a homer? You don't know what a fucking homer is. Like, like the same, like, same idea, but just, you know, be a script. 
Uh, yeah, it was dope, man. It was dope. It was really dope. They, they, they're all very... The four boys are kind of recognizable sort of... Stereotypes. Stereo- archetypes, yeah, archetypes, yeah. that's yeah. it. Yeah, they, they feel very familiar. You know, the... Michael's the sort of stoic, wiser beyond, than beyond his years mm. one. Randy's got this sort of cheeky... He's got an amazing smile. Doesn't he? Yeah. He's cute, that kid. <laughs> oh, my God. They cast him so well. Yeah, absolutely. They... He's, yeah, he's got this cute little smile he's like but he's this sort of cheeky kind of and we see he's entrepreneurial mm-hmm. he's really smart whip smart uh, Dookie also has this kind of just like intelligence to him this quiet and curious intelligence like he's like looking at a bug while the rest of them are like trying to catch a homing pigeon he's as you said he, he already knows it's not going to work but he's like he knows it's, it's right like, so he's just like I'm going to go look at this bug and <laughs> he's got this yeah you, as you said he's on a different wavelength and then you've got Naaman, who's just the brash show-off, yeah. who's like, yeah. The, <laughs> and, and so they're all very familiar. And I think the, you know, as you said with what Dookie and the way he's part of their gang, but he's also a part. I think everyone kind of had, you, we all either were a Dookie or we knew a Dookie, mm. where you're kind of like, there's always that one kid that got kind of picked on a little bit more, but he's one of yours. Yeah, exactly. And right. And what I think was interesting is like, when that happens, Dookie gets beaten up and they... They instantly like they they rally around him and they're all trying to make a plan. And Randy comes up with his genius piss piss uh, <laughs> piss water balloon idea. There was no piss used at all in the balloons. Uh, they were they were just water balloons. But I do think they put I forgot what it was. I do think they put a little dye in them. So they have a little uh, tinge, a little, little yellow tinge. But that yeah, that was that was so. I even remember just like. Well, after uh, we shot that whole thing, like shooting the whole setup where we were at the ice cream truck, and and and, and like and that, like that's you know how you remember certain parts of like anything like vividly. That's one thing I remember like us standing in front of the ice cream truck, and uh, and you know when he's uh, I forgot what we were laughing. Oh yeah, we were laughing because so Julito's like one of the pickiest like eaters like ever. Well, I put it this way. I was, everyone made fun of me because I like, I was vegetarian. I was, yeah, yeah, I was like, I was doing the most in 2005. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no one was thinking about it. But he was like, the like, nah, like, you know how some people just don't put this on my food? I only want this, this, and this. So I remember he was at the ice cream truck and he was like, yo, I just want one of these. And they're like, oh, we ain't even got these. And he was like, and they were like, well, you, you gotta have something. <laughs> So he just grabbed ice cream and wasn't really eating it. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just funny. It was it was cool, man. It, we really we really had some dope times. Like especially especially in those in those first few episodes when we were just getting to know each other like for real. What I was thinking watching it this time was that like it happened right after or very close to when the same thing was happening with Marlo and his crew. Mm. So in this episode, Lex. Uh, kills fruit yeah. outside in a really vicious, like, sudden yeah, bout of dark. violence. Super dark and quick and quite dramatic. And then Marlo and his crew are standing around and they're doing the same thing. It's like they're having the same conversation. Mm. You know, fruit's, oh, he's low level. He's kind of a little bit outside, like Dookie, but but he's one of ours, so we got to hit that corner. we got to, it's like, and it, it's only Marlo's with his experience and, in, and intelligence sort of says it's not worth it, right? But 
what's interesting for to me is that the same thing happened. It was just like these people are all living on the same streets in the same neighborhoods, but this tribalism. Yeah. And and that we I can relate to that. We grew up. There's always someone on the other side of the train tracks, who's <laughs> <laughs> in the same town as you. Arbitrarily, like a knobhead. Yeah. yeah. It's like the, the boys on the north side or whatever. It's like people make these. You know, tribalism is at the heart of the wire, and it's at the heart of humanity because yeah. we we form cliques and tribes. And these boys are a are a tribe. And obviously, you touched upon Lex there, and the Lex is killing a fruit, which then leads to Lex's uh, well, sign our Lex. Yeah, that's this is really spooky the way they did this, yeah. isn't it? So it's Chris sitting on a merry-go-round, right? And the well, they, yeah, the guys. Oh, no, it's uh, Snoop on the merry-go-round. And he turns around. Oh, Chris Snoop. is there, um, but it's just that Randy is kind of tasked. Like you talk about his entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know this kid's name, but he's quite the chunky guy uh, with the, with the big baggy jeans. He's the one that tells Randy to send Lex up that way, um, and unbeknownst to him, Randy sends Lex to his demise. Yeah, um, which is which is a horrible thing to do, but. Talk about that tribalism. I don't understand why. I don't know why. I can't remember why. If it ever comes apparent, why this chunky kid betrays Lex because Lex is on his side. Producer Tom coming, yo. Producer Tom coming. Producer Tom coming. Oh, the first producer Tom insert of the season. Kobe is talking about little Kevin. He was on the corner with Lex and and uh, Bodie. Yeah, good question. I, I guess I guess he was on the Marlow payroll or. Well, I think Mar- I think Marlow just gave him a bunch of wedge, bunch of money. And said like, give us. A, he seemed excited a, by because when he tells Randy later, he tells Randy like enthusiastically. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It's like oh, he got done, and and it's like, and like this is your mate, <laughs> wasn't it? I know. I guess. <laughs> I guess not. But I think this tells you so much about Randy as well. Just the fact that he's. He's not part of this world, no. but he can't avoid it. Like, he's literally on the same corner as, you know, he's selling candy bars and Bodhi's selling Pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> They're on the same corner, man. And it's like, he wants nothing to do with that, but it's his home and that's his neighborhood. Mm. And he can't. And, and even when you don't engage in it, like Naaman is doing, you still get involved. Yeah. He, 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 and, and it hits when you see... Randy's face at the end of this episode and when it all sinks into him what he's been a part in it's again heartbreak yeah. there's so much heartbreak in this whole season I, it's, it's there's fun stuff there guys stick with us <laughs> there, stick there, with us there is though that's what watching it again you're like season 4 leaves this tragic taste in your mouth this doesn't it right it's, it, but it's also and it's kind of hard to go back to but watching it again it's like it is just filled with all the ups and downs and the joys and mm. the laughter and the heartache of the wire it's everything in one well life right yeah well that's the end of the first episode guys uh, thank you for joining us and thank you to all our contributors in this episode it's been amazing and i hope you hope you guys have um felt that the wait was worth it i should say yeah i i hope so too um and um a big thank you as well to uh sonics um who provide all our uh, transcribing services yeah. there's a lot of transcribing to do um and you can um get a special what do they get kobe a special discount or something if yeah we, yeah if we- 
to get a special discount if you head to sonics.ai forward slash invite forward slash strict. Um, if you need some transcription services, head over to them. Yeah, there you go. I'm very professional. I know exactly what's happening. Um, <laughs> at, uh, a big thank you to uh, our beautiful new artwork for season four oh, was done. Amazing. By, uh, so good. Uh, by uh, Michael uh, Balistreri and um, Izzy Lawrence, who uh, produced our logo. Um, and Michael could be followed at Black Snow Comics. That's right. On, on Instagram. Uh, Martin and Sam from the Song by Song podcast. Thank you so much for the theme tune that you can hear right now. And thank you, uh, as always, to our amazing producer, Obi, who is the oh. uh, lifeblood of this show and uh, literally does all the hard graft. He's, he's literally been smashing out the park. There's some amazing interviews that he's found, uh, and we can't wait for you to hear them all. And conducted. Uh, Obi yes. himself has been making appearances. Um, and also a huge thank you, uh, as always, to our uh, lead producer and editor, Mr. Tom Wally, Mr. T-Bone, uh, who is the conductor behind all this magic. Yeah. Um, we are on social media at The Wire Strips on Twitter and Instagram. Please do subscribe and say hello to us there. If you are in the subscribing mood, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and give us a little little five star little five star tap. A little review. Um, or subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash The Wire Stripped. Uh, and that's it for all our plugs. There's so many, so many things to plug, but uh, we will be back next week for season four episode two which has uh just like you can't see them right now but uh the name of this title is soft eyes much like kobe has <laughs> but it's a podcast so you can't see it <laughs> <laughs>